Stravinsky, Gansey said evenly. Where's Ronin? Right here. Wake up, fuck weasel! It's your girlfriend, Kavinsky said. Chapter 40, page 297, The Dream Thieves. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Circle podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and the worst after-party walk of shame ever. So dramatique. <laughs> <laughs> This is episode 26, and we're covering chapters 40 through 43 of The Dream Thieves. We will also be taking a deep dive on Howell and some myths of corpses and trees. Woohoo! Yeah. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. We will use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and no gray man violence. Hopefully. None. No, not this I, I'll time. be good this week. And okay. The, and the gray man's not in these chapters. Alrighty, let's get into the episode. <laughs> Chapter 40 is a Gansey point of view. Chapter, Gansey receives a series of texts from Ronan's phone that start out bad and just get progressively worse. Helen pulls him aside for a discussion of happiness currency, and when Gansey calls Ronan to follow up, he gets convinced again instead. Fuckery is afoot. <laughs> All right, it's Saturday morning, and Gansey is at his mother's tea party, and the chapter starts with a bang. Gansey gets a text, and it was a close-up of a part of Ronan's anatomy that he hadn't seen before. An Irish flag was twist-tied to it. It was not the most grotesque display of nationalism Gansey had ever seen, but it was close. Yeah. I just That just made me laugh. It's pretty funny. And a part that Gansey had never seen before. Sorry, Ronesy fans. Yeah. <laughs> and as Maggie said, every picture that Gansey gets is a dick pic. Yep. <laughs> so this is a fairly contentious passage within the fandom. The question, whose dick is being sent to Gansey? And was it obvious to you on your first reading? No. How did you think it played out the first time around? I wasn't sure until you started talking to Kavinsky. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, is this really happening? Is this what's going on? Mm-hmm. Did like Kavinsky take a picture of Ronan while he was asleep? Like, right. what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen a lot of different interpretations of everything from it was just a picture that Ronan had in his phone that Kavinsky found and sent to Gansey. I can totally see Ronan doing something like that. I cannot. Really? He's so repressed. He's so Catholic and repressed. I can't (laughs) see him doing that at all. But I've seen that. And then I've seen, of course, like Ronan is passed out and Kavinsky then touches him without his knowledge while Mm. he's passed out. And then is really awful to think about. Really awful to think about. And then what I think happened is that he indeed took a picture of his own dick (laughs) with an Irish flag tied around it and then sent it to Gansey. (laughs) 
thinking that Gansey would think it was Ronan. That's the one I like the best. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. On Tumblr, Let's Say Hello asks a bunch of stuff. And then about this scene, did what I think happened actually happen? Maggie replied, Dear Let's Say Hello, if what you think happened is that Kavinsky took Ronan's phone from him while he was passed out, used it to snap a photo of his own, Kavinsky's member with it, and sent it to Gansey along with a bunch of other texts about mothers, then Gansey, who, as mentioned, has never seen Ronan's member to accurately identify it in a testicular lineup, <laughs> believed that he was sent a photo of Ronan's member, then that is also what I think happened. Mm-hmm. One assumes this is also what Gansey thinks happened in retrospect, as he was clearly confused by the nature of the text sent to him until Kavinsky called him using Ronan's phone. After this, it makes sense to him, i.e. Gansey realized it was Kavinsky all along. Mm-hmm. If you're just thinking, wow, technically any photo that Dick Gansey has is a dick pic, that also happened. <laughs> So I remember once being like, okay, Kay sent a picture of his own dick to Gansey's phone, but where did he get a tiny Irish flag? And then face palming because the answer is so freaking obvious. <laughs> yep. He can dream anything uh-huh. he wants. <laughs> <laughs> And Gansey outlines all of the things that have him off guard this morning. And then this, the possible implications of such a photograph. Like? (laughs) What? Yeah, I I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, sexting is bad, but... (laughs) I mean, from your roommate? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So there's another text that comes through and says, Before you hear it from anyone else, I wrecked the pig. Gansey was suddenly very awake. It's been a rough weekend all around for everybody. Mm-hmm. And Kavinsky is just starting shit. Uh-huh. He's trying to drive a wedge between Ronan and Gansey. If his plan is for Ronan to dream the car, there's no reason to tell Gansey that the pig was ever wrecked. Mm-hmm. And Kay says, say hi to your mom for me. And Gansey then immediately thinks about his mom. <laughs> Gansey had inherited from his mother an extreme distaste of showing the uglier emotions in public. My first thought was that it's interesting he feels like he got this from his mom, since don't show emotion is such a toxic masculinity thing. Mm -hmm. But he does also specify it's the uglier emotions, of which anger would be one. Mm -hmm. And anger is, quote unquote, allowed masculine emotion. Mm -hmm. And he says that his mom told him, everyone's face is a mirror, Dick. Endeavor to make them reflect a smile. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so that line fits really well with the female politician mom. Right. And he's obviously not hiding it very well because someone asks him if he's all right. Uh-huh, absolutely. And there were no circumstances under which Gansey would have said he wasn't fine. And, you know, that's kind of sad, not being able to be like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm actually not okay. Right. And also the things that he mentioned that possibly would have made him say he wasn't okay, death of a family member, loss of a limb, actually feel to me like they'd be comparable to him to the loss of the pig. Yeah, it's a big part of his identity. Mm -hmm. And it's just another sign of Gansey repressing his emotions. Mm -hmm. And he thinks of Adam. His mind replayed the image of Adam casting the figurines to the floor. Things are being tumbled and broken. Uh Uh-huh. And I can really relate to Gansey just going through the motions of the banal conversation around him while trying to process the text. Mm-hmm. 
like talking about the sandwiches. They're from Clarissa's, Gansy said automatically. The cucumbers are local. Ronan took my car. Yeah, it echoes what Gansy said to Adam the night before. Ronan never took my car uh-huh. on page 281. At that moment, Gansy's memory of Ronan and his filthy smile didn't look very different from Joseph Kavinsky and his matching dirty grin. Gansy had to remind himself that they had very important differences. Ronan was broken. Ronan was fixable. Ronan had a soul. Mm-hmm. And Gansy is being an asshole. Yeah. It's like, dude, your best friend steals your car and crashes it, and you're madder at Kavinsky? Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, Kavinsky's an awful person. Right. But Solus is a bit harsh. Mm-hmm. Also, ugh, Gansey, it is not your job to fix people. Yeah. My comment was, hey, Gansey, fuck off with your judgmental BS. Uh-huh. And he thinks Ronan had charm. It was just buried deep. Very deep. Shannon would agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many times did I read through the book before I was like, okay, Ronan's okay? (laughs) Uh, All of them before this time. (laughs) (laughs) He'd taken the Camaro keys with him when he left for a reason. So this wasn't a surprise. Mm -hmm. So he kind of knew the dad is gone party thing was going to happen. This really pisses me off because he's been anticipating this from Ronan. But yet he gives Adam shit for the same thing. Because Adam's like the mom friend. Basically, like Adam is the one who has it all together. But he doesn't. Yeah, I, we know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's in, exactly- in that situation, the social group doesn't have a backup plan for when that person who has it all together doesn't. Yeah. And it's really sad. Mm-hmm. And Gansy's mind was on overload. He could feel his synapses murdering one another. I totally get that feeling. Yeah, and I totally love that line, too. <laughs> he reflects again on the say hi to your mom. Does he think this is out of character for Ronan? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of Gansy speak while passing imported sugar cubes, and he catches Helen's eye. She pointed at Gansey and gestured toward the door to the kitchen. They seem to have a lot of kitchen heart-to-hearts. Mm-hmm. Like when she pulls him in to garnish bruschetta and talk about bribing the headmaster in Chapter 43 of The Raven King. Right. The kitchen is basically, in Southern homes, that's where you go. Yeah. Like, that is where stuff happens. So Gansey goes to meet Helen in the kitchen. It was the only part of the house that hadn't been renovated in the last two decades, and it was always dark and vaguely scented by onions. He seems comforted by the fact that this area is unchanged and by the nostalgia that that brings. Mm -hmm. He had an immediate distant memory of his glamorous mother pacing a frothing pitcher's thermometer under his tongue. And I wonder, like, as part of what is making him comfortable, could that be because it feels a little like Fox Way? Mm -hmm. Just like older and homey and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I find it hilarious that his mother took his temperature with a frothing pitcher thermometer, though. What is a frothing pitcher thermometer? For frothing milk to make a cappuccino. Oh! (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's just like, all right, sounds good. (laughs) And he thinks, time felt irrelevant. Time is irrelevant Mm -hmm. to Gansey. Yeah. And then Helen looks at him and says, you looked like you just spent your last joy bill. And I love this phrase. Mm -hmm. Helen is the best. I too. I love this whole exchange, Mm -hmm. especially his older sister's smile shone brightly. Did you or did you not need to get out of that room? Gansey's siblings knew each other well. Uh Uh-huh. And she says, we're talking about space adaptation syndrome and the Coriolis effect. I just wanted you to know what you're missing. Gansey, missing is a strong term. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) God damn it. I want to have Helen's babies. (laughs) 
So Gansey calls Ronan and Kavinsky picks up. Dick, Kavinsky said, Gansey. <laughs> the screen read Ronan Lynch. At least now the text messages made sense. Uh-huh. Kavinsky tells Gansey that the pig has half a face now, poor bastard. Gansey closes his eyes and lets out a whisper of a sigh. Poor Gansey. Kavinsky is not the person he wants to hear this from. I don't think he wants to hear it from oh, anyone. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Kavinsky says, come again? I know, I know. That's what Lynch says. Oh, God. I chortled out loud. <laughs> yeah, okay. I have the totally useless superpower of making everything sound dirty, so I can appreciate this. <laughs> Gansy thinks about his father. His father, collector of things, collector of words, collector of money, offered tantalizing stories. In them, Gansy caught glimpses of a utopian community of peers intent on learning, keen with the pursuit of wisdom. It was not toilet paper trees and whispered bribes, front lawn hacky sack, and faculty affairs, gifted vodka and stolen cars. It was not Agwambi Academy. Sometimes the difference between that utopia and reality exhausted Gansy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what Gansy doesn't realize is that what makes his dad's school days sound so good is nostalgia. They weren't actually any better. Yeah, probably. And you skipped my favorite part. (laughs) It was C.S. Lewis and the Inklings, Yeats and the Abbey Theatre, Tolkien and his Colbatar, Glendower and his poet Iolo, and apparently autocorrect says Yolo Gok. (laughs) From now on, Yolo Gok. Arthur and his knights. It was a community of scholars just outside of adolescence, a sort of Marvel comic where every hero represented a different arm of the humanities. Mm-hmm. It totally reminds me of the X-Men, which I only know really anything about because of our friends Jay and Miles. Uh-huh. And yes, I adored that part too, but my note was already like hella long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, yay Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, this was great. You giving the phone back to Ronan at any point? Oh, my God. We have hit peak dad Gansey. Kavinsky comments that he's going to have to try harder with the dreaming, one would assume. Mm -hmm. I beg your pardon? That's what Lynch says, too. It's just another sex joke. And then Gansey, do you ever think your humor veers too much on the side of prurient? Hey, come at me, bro. Kavinsky makes the same complaint about Gansey's vocabulary that Adam has made. Don't SAT at me. I cracked up at that line, mainly because that was the kind of thing I heard from everyone growing up. Yeah. Then Kay comes back with, he's having a coming of age moment. A Bildungsroman. God damn me. SAT that dick, dick, dick. (laughs) Three dicks, dick the third. (laughs) Yep, that struck me as an odd kind of clever as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I commented last episode that Kavinsky probably has the most meta line in the whole series. And I would say that this is it. A -hmm. Bildungsroman is pretty much exactly what the Dream Thieves, the book that they are currently in, is. And a definition, in literary criticism, a Bildungsroman is a literary genre that focuses on the psychological and moral growth of the protagonist from youth to adulthood, in which character change is important. Mm -hmm. Yes, I looked up Bildungsroman and was like, whoa, yes, this is exactly what is happening. Yeah. (laughs) Wake up, fuck weasel, it's your girlfriend. (laughs) Once upon a time, Maggie posted this clip and said, Lover, her husband, ripped this part from the audiobook and converted it into a ringtone. So it is what one hears every time I call his phone. (laughs) I want it so badly. (laughs) 
Kavinsky said, same thing I always want, to be entertained. And then he hangs up on Gansey. <laughs> and Gansey begins thinking of an unsavory story about Glendower, a mystical giant who'd left a permanent footprint. Gansey thinks that he was a believer in the power of words, which is a good description of Gansey's own ability. Yeah, Gansey connects to this story in the beginning when it involves diplomacy and words. Mm-hmm. Not so much when it involves violence and anger, or he doesn't want to connect to it then at least. Right. Gansey would have preferred the story to end there. All the stabbing and stuffing and utter loss of temper seemed rather ignoble, but Gansey, picturing Kavinsky and Ronan together in the pig crashed, Gansey thought he finally glimpsed understanding. He was at once closer and farther from Glendower than he'd been before. There are indeed unsavory parts to being a ruler. Mm -hmm. And to being human in general. It's like the saying, like, what do you do with the mad that you feel you get from Mr. Rogers? And it's like, well, if you're a ruler, you can kill the offending person and stuff them in an oak tree. If you're a teenage boy, you have to find other outlets. One would hope, anyway. (laughs) Okay, deep dive here? Yeah, let's do deep dive here. So, unfortunately, neither of us speak Welsh. This is So, I did my best to actually look up pronunciations for everything that we're going to talk about, but... I could not find a lot of things. I couldn't find breakdowns or YouTube videos or anything that had these things <laughs> pronounced out loud. So, right. we're Welsh just... is a beautiful language, but I don't speak it. So, I we're going to try our best. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to actually spell things out and, you know, just do it that way. So, okay. So, from Wikipedia. Howell Sella, died in 1402, was a Welsh nobleman, a cousin of Owen Glendower, Prince of Wales. He was a friend of Henry IV of England and opposed to his cousin's 1400-1415 uprising. Sella was captured by Glendower, but is said to have accepted an invitation to hunt with his cousin on the Nanai estate. Sella attempted to kill Glendower, but failed and was himself killed, his body being hidden within the hollow of an oak tree. The oak is subsequently said to have been haunted and was named... Oh, this is the difficult one. Yeah, <laughs> I tried. Yeah, Derwin Kerbin er Elil, the hollow oak of the devils, or Kerbin El Elil, the hollow tree of the ghost. All right. <laughs> I'll have to say that quite a bit, too. So, Howell Sele was a distant cousin of Owen Glendower, but Sele was a friend of the English king Henry IV. And loyal to the crown. So we got that part. Mm-hmm. Sally fought against Glendower and was captured in a battle near Bedau. Bedau? Oh my gosh, I tried. Bedau? <laughs> B. How would you say that? B E D D A U. I would say Bedau, but I'm yeah. not for sure. In South Wales. Purportedly, the abbot of Keimer Abbey brokered a reconciliation between the two men in 1402, even though it was during the height of Glendower's revolt against the English crown. One story, the one that is most similar to what is given in The Dream Thieves, says Howell invited his cousin to Sela's home, the Nanai estate, for a friendly bit of hunting and political debate. But Howell had ulterior motives. He planned to murder the rebellious Glendower. They spotted a stag and Howell drew his bow to fire an arrow. But instead of firing at the stag, he turned and fired the arrow directly at Owen. From Memoirs of Owen Glendower with a sketch of the history of ancient Britons from the Conquest of Wales by Edward I to the present time, written by Reverend Thomas Thomas and published in 1822. (laughs) Howell was reckoned the best archer of his days. 
Owen, seeing a doe feeding, pointed it out to his companions as a fine mark. Howell bent his bow and, pretending to aim at the doe, treacherously turned round and discharged his arrow full at Owen's breast. Having armor fortunately under his clothes, the assassin's weapon failed of its purpose. The vile perpetrator was seized on, hurried away, nor heard of more. Forty years after, the skeleton of a large man, such as Howell, was discovered in the hollow of a great oak, in which Owen was supposed to have immured him in reward of his perfidy, and he did suffer greatly for the cause that urged him first to the bold deed. So the arrow coming from Hoel would have been the end of Glendower, except that he was crafty and wore a vest of chainmail beneath his clothing. Glendower drew his sword, killed his cousin, and placed Hoel's body in a hollow oak tree on the grounds. Legends apparently differ on if Hoel was living or dead when placed in the oak tree, and stories say that his screams were heard on dark nights hereafter. Another version of this story says that Howell intended to fire at the stag, or doe, but as he swiveled to track the running animal, he found to his horror that he was aiming at his cousin. Either way, Owen Glendower slew his host, hid the body in an oak tree, and fled into hiding. It is said that to cover his tracks, he then set fire to the house so it would be presumed that Howell failed to escape and was consumed by the flames. As for Howell Silly, his body was not found for another 40 years. Howell was survived by his two-year-old son, Merig Feichen, who was raised by his uncle, Gruffidiris. And if you are interested in visiting Howell's estate and place of his death, there's apparently a very charming cottage lodge for rent, and it looks pretty spectacular. Yeah. Legend has it that decades later, a mysterious emissary visited the house at Nanai. He has news from Owen, who now lives out his final days in hiding. The messenger tells Howell Sele's widow of her husband's true fate and leads a group of men to the ancient oak. Over the years, the tree has grown gnarled and twisted, its branches losing their bark and resembling skeletal arms, as if trying to mime its dark secret. The men split open the great bowl of the oak to uncover the the body stowed within, a rusting sword still clutched in its bony hands. The tree that contained the body of Howell gained a reputation as a place of evil where strange noises were heard, and was named Darren Sebrin Ir Elel, which translates to the hollow oak, haunt of demons, or the blasted oak of spirits, and is sometimes called the skeleton tree. A side note, Nanai is very nearby or overlooks Kader Idris, which is the mountain in Wales that Gansey and Mallory talk about in Chapter 5 of Blue Lily Lily Blue. Cool. There's a poem that tells the story of Hoel and Glendower, Ancient Poetry Corner. <laughs> the Spirit's Blasted Tree by Sir Walter Scott, published in 1808 as a part of his work, Marmion, A Tale of Flodden Field. I found conflicting sources saying that it was written by Reverend George Warrington, but in the text of Scott's work, it credits Reverend Warrington with the tale that the poem is based on. And this is a very condensed version of the poem, which is very, very long. Pale lights on Kedar's rocks were seen, and midnight voices heard to moan. Twas even said the blasted oak, convulsive, heaved a hollow groan. And to this day the peasant still, with cautious fear, avoids the ground, and each wild branch a specter sees, and trembles at each rising sound. 
With head aloft and antlers wide, a red buck roused, then crossed in view, stung with the sight and wild with rage, swift from the wood, fierce Hoel flew. Glendower for once restrained his sword, and still averse the fight delays, but softened words like oil to fire, mad anger more intensely blaze. They fought, and doubtful long the fray, the Glendower gave the fatal wound. Still mournful must my tale proceed, and its last act all dreadful sound. I marked a broad and blasted oak, scorched by the lightning's livid glare, hollow its stem from branch to root, and all its shriveled arms were bare. Be this, I cried, his proper grave, the thought in me was deadly sin. Aloft we raised the hapless chief, and dropped his bleeding corpse within. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Duran Cabran Eril was a real tree, and it's referenced as far back as the 14th century, and rumors of it reach even further back than that. There's a quote from the Folklore Thursday website, just north of the Welsh town of Doglau, maybe Doglai, since it's like A-U, anyway, D-O-L-G-E-L-L-A-U, is a small lake of Linsinwich which features in local mythology. It is said to be the location of a sunken palace of pure white marble, home to the king of the fair ones, and that upon its banks a fearsome wyvern was once slain. The old oak stood between this lake and the peak of Moloffram, where two ancient hill forts testify a long history of settlement in the area. A particularly steep escarpment overlooking the site is known as the Place of Sacrifice, and the tree stood in or near the Field of Succor, who sacrificed who is unclear, but given that both Forts date back to the Iron Age, and one was still used into the Roman era, it has been surmised that Druids may have sacrificed captured Roman invaders there, presumably by flinging them from the cliffs. <laughs> of course, oak is the sacred tree of the Druids, and so the tree may well have been part of the grove used as their temple. During the Dark Ages, this oak was a meeting place and served as the Court of Justice, when it became known as the Hanging Tree. It is said that trials sometimes involved the race between the accused and their accuser. If the accused reached the oak for First, then they were deemed innocent. If the accuser won the race, then the accused was guilty and would be hanged from the tree. It was believed that God would intervene and make sure that the right one reached the oak first. By the end of the 1500s, the tree was again being used by witchfinders as a hanging tree. When King James passed his 1604 Witchcraft Act, it was deemed that Dogalau needed a proper gull and courthouse. When the jailhouse was completed in 1606, the role of the tree was commemorated in decorative plasterwork. The building is now a coffee house, which has on its walls sections of plaster frez that depict witch trials and people being hung from the blasted oak. <laughs> When the tree finally fell during a fierce summer storm in July of 1813, it was cut up and used to make wooden objects and furniture. One of the drinking vessels made from the oak is now held in the National Museum of Wales in Cardiff. It is said that those who drank from the cups were plagued by ghostly apparitions and suffered nightmares for several nights afterwards. Is it weird that I kind of want to try it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I thought it was really interesting that in going into this very simple story of this thing that happened with Glendower, you have this incredibly steeped in history and mythology tree. Right. 
So I found a couple of like not related to Glendower things because like one of the first things that popped into my mind when thinking about this topic of like people in trees mm-hmm. is that there's a connection here with Arthurian legend. In many versions of the Arthur stories, Merlin was sealed in a tree by Nimue, his lover and the Lady of the Lake. Mm-hmm. And this tree, or sometimes just his grave, is often said to be in an enchanted forest called Brasilande. Now, Merlin, as we know, was basically a creation of Geoffrey of Monmouth. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters that Monmouth may have drawn from when creating Merlin was Merdin Wild, or Merlin the Wild, mm-hmm. who was a Welsh peasant prophet condemned to live in a magical forest. Mm-hmm. I'm like, sounds a bit like Adam? Uh-huh. <laughs> And in the town where Myrden died, in the town of Carmathen, South Wales, there was a huge tree known as Merlin's Oak. Mm-hmm. And there was a prophecy that when Merlin's Oak shall tumble down, then shall fall Carmathen town. Other versions of the prophecy state that when the tree falls, the town will drown or flood. Mm-hmm. But apparently this prophecy didn't come to pass since the tree has been gone since the 50s. Mm-hmm. Note, residents say that they've gotten around that by preserving pieces of it in various local buildings and museums. Though supposedly after it was burned in the 70s, and it, it was dead before that, but burned in the 70s, there was a huge flood that went through the town. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I was also reminded of the story of Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm. Mm-hmm. In April 1943, a group of boys were hunting for eggs in Hagley Woods, which is in England's Midlands, mm-hmm. and they discovered the skeleton of a woman in the hollow of an elm tree that they climbed. It was determined that she would have been about 35, 5 feet tall with mousy brown hair, and one of her hands had been cut off. But neither dental records or a search through missing persons cases found any hint of who she might be. Mm-hmm. And some people thought it could be like an occult crime because of mm-hmm. the odd hiding place and the severed hand. And other evidence points to the woman having been a spy. But we'll likely never know for certain what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what happened to her remains, but they did do a 3D reconstruction of her face at one point. Uh-huh. Surprised that they can't just do a DNA test and at least get some sort of a right. trace on that, but maybe they don't have any remains anymore. Maybe. Lastly, there is a Welsh tale that is sort of a myth or folklore. A tale of a bride hiding in a tree on the morning of her wedding as part of a wedding quest, where the groom is to find her and bring her to the church on her wedding morning. The groom searched but could not find her, and after months went by, a local tree that was a favorite meeting spot when they were courting was hit by lightning and split, revealing the bride's skeleton preserved in her wedding dress inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are several stories, similar stuff. Yeah, lots of urban legends that seem to have very mm. similar sort of flavors it's to like them. hiding and playing and then you get caught yeah. and nobody can find her. Mm-hmm. And like, I think I would look at a tree that was like uh, our special spot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, so that was all interesting stuff. Okay. Chapter 42, a Ronin POV chapter. Ronin wakes up in the basement of Kavinsky's McMansion, stuffed to the gills with dreamed objects and shitty carpentry. (laughs) Kavinsky goads Ronin about being a dreamer and then reveals that he's known what Ronin is for a lot longer than anyone would have guessed. And it starts. Ronan woke up in a movie theater seat. What a night. <laughs> Indeed. It would be really disorienting to wake up in a home theater in the basement of a McMansion. Mm-hmm. With a shelf full of action flicks and porn with uninventive titles. <laughs> if I had to pick a line that described Kavinsky. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Ronan recalls watching an endless video of Saudi Arabian street racing the night before. Saudi Arabian street racing? Are the Saudis known for street racing? Apparently. (laughs) From Wikipedia, 
tough heat, Arab drifting, Saudi drifting, or Middle East drifting is an illegal street racing-like phenomenon believed to have started in the late 1970s that involves trying to drift cars to drive cars that are generally non-modified factory setup rental cars at very high speeds around 160 to 260 kilometers per hour, 100 to 160 miles per hour, across wide highways throwing the car left and right. In the process, racers often drive dangerously close to traffic, barriers, and spectators watching from the roadsides without any protection. Tough heat practice and events occur with little or no concern for vehicle occupants, other drivers, or spectator safety. Many videos and compilation of the minor and horrific accidents that result are posted online. Ugh. (laughs) Yeah. So... We watched the original Fast and Furious. Uh-huh. We need to watch Tokyo Drift now. <laughs> oh, God, I've heard that's the worst one. <laughs> but maybe, yes. <laughs> Kavinsky, holding Ronan's phone, notes that Ronan didn't throw up, and Ronan somehow doesn't want to admit that he's not a stranger to drinking himself senseless. I find this an odd thing to hide from someone like Kavinsky. Yeah. And I can picture the blank look on Ronan's face as he's sitting there trying to make sense of all this. It's like 100 white Mitsubishis, two dozen fake IDs, five leather bracelets, two of us. Yeah. And he's sitting there. Kavinsky says, say something, Rain Man. Ableist ass. Mm -hmm. Ronan then tries to get a little more info out of Kavinsky. Are there others? Hell if I know, Kavinsky says. He asks Kavinsky if Kavinsky's father is one, but then gets up and leaves almost out of anger when Kavinsky asks the same of him. Mm-hmm. It's like Ronan still can't break that promise to his dad. He still can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or because we know that Ronan's memory of his father is very bruised. Like there's a lot of trauma there. Mm-hmm. And how is Kay a dreamer? I hope we find out and call down the hawk. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out more about how dreaming works. Mm-hmm. Renan tries all three of the insubstantial white doors until he found the bathroom. <laughs> and it's like, this is totally McMansion hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kay gets bored and does a line, offering some to Ronan. Ronan didn't answer. Silence is never a wrong answer. But later, on page 316, when Kavinsky offers again, we get, he could feel Gansy's eyes on him. Dad as conscience. Mm-hmm. Ronan asks Kavinsky, what were you doing with my phone? Kay replies, calling your mother. Ronan replies, easily. Say something else about my mother and I'll smash your face in. And mm-hmm. then immediately asks, how'd you do it? This sums up their relationship in a lot of ways for me. Ronan doesn't like Kavinsky, doesn't trust him, but he has to admit that Kavinsky serves a purpose right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sadly, Kay never catches on to the fact that Ronan just needs him for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky responds, so violent, such a PTSD poster boy. And Kavinsky isn't wrong. No. And he says, I saw you do it. Ronan's heart twitched convulsively. It couldn't seem to get used to the secret being the opposite of one. A secret revealed? Take a drink? (laughs) Drink. Kavinsky then admits, your suicide is him. Man, I saw it happen. I saw you wake up and the blood appear. I knew what you were. Again, as in the dream, Kavinsky insists he knows what Ronan is, not who. Mm Mm-hmm. It could be, too, that Kavinsky is used to dehumanizing himself as a dreamer, and so therefore is dehumanizing Ronan. Maybe. That had been months and months and months ago, before the street racing had even begun. Why now? Why is Kavinsky bringing it up now if he's been courting Ronan this whole time, and has to have been crafty enough to have hidden it for so long? Yeah, it's a good question. 
Vernon thinks all this time, Kavinsky had known all this time, and the idea terrifies him because he immediately lashes out. You don't know a damn thing about me. Mm-hmm. Kay jumps up on a theater seat and it sings a pop song. It's very reminiscent of the stool at the barns playing Wind That Shakes the Barley. Yet somehow everything in Kay's life feels fake, where the barns felt warm and real. Do you agree? I do, yeah. Such a weird dichotomy. Uh Uh-huh. And then Ronan immediately demands that Kavinsky show him how to do it. Again, that despising Kavinsky and not being able to deny his usefulness in this moment. Ultimately, we see that this is all Ronan really wants from Kay, and that is the tragedy of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Kavinsky tells Ronan, you have to know what you want. Renan is immediately discouraged because what he wanted was to know what he wanted. Under those parameters, it would be impossible for him. I don't think that's quite the case, either in the dream realm or in real life, Mm -hmm. because Ronan seems pretty set in what he wants, or at least he gets that way by the end of the series. Absolutely. He's floating and drifting right now, but he becomes pretty concrete in who he is later. Right. Kavinsky smiles widely and says, I'll teach you. I wonder what's going through Kavinsky's mind here. Like, what does he think is going to come of this? I mean, quite obviously, he thinks that Ronan's going to join up with him, either as a partner or as a flunky. Mm-hmm. The wide smile reminds me of the toothy grin of the devil mask. But I'm a bit fascinated with the concept of Kavinsky as a mentor or an Obi-Wan figure. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think of it that way. It's a very weird relationship dichotomy for mm-hmm. those two. And we see that's almost what Kay wants when Ronan leaves later on. Yeah, yeah, he Mm. has something set in his mind, Mm. and Ronan does not play by that script. Right. And that is what ultimately kills him. Yep. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Chapter 42 is a Gainsey point of view chapter. When Gainsey goes to talk to Adam about the bad news, Adam is mysteriously gone. The whole Gansey family, and then even more folks, go on an ever-frantic search to find him until Gansey gets a phone call saying that Adam has somehow ended up 15 miles away. The Gansey family rallies together, trying their best to improve Adam's life in any way they can. Mm-hmm. Adam was gone. This short, three-word opening line manages to hold a lot of panic. It's very punchy and to the point. Mm-hmm. Gansey found the room empty and sterile. And this, to me, feels like Adam has walked out of a hospital room in a little mm-hmm. bit, like, in, in a way. Which, well, we've seen him in before, and Gansey was just talking about how Adam could be fixed. Mm-hmm. And also, the last time Adam was in a hospital was the last big fight between the two. They've been arguing since then, but they haven't really, like, had it out since Yeah, then. that we've seen. Yeah, definitely. To me, it just felt like Adam had not slept here. Like, mm-hmm. the bed is unmade and nothing is unpacked. Right. And Gansey was seeing his own childhood sort of devoid of personality right i did like the unfinished silhouette of old models it made me think of the miniature henrietta and that it was building models even as a child right and Gansey thinks, but now he needed him, Adam. Mm-hmm. If he didn't tell someone about Ronan breaking parts off the car, he was going to self-immolate. Mm-hmm. And now you know how Adam feels every time he needs you and you want to fix him instead of just being there for him. Yeah. Gansey searches through the house. He replayed the argument from the night before. It felt worse this time around. 
poor Gansey. <laughs> Every time we have his POV, I want to hug him, but I guess that's pretty true of all the characters. Mm-hmm. Gansey goes and finds Helen mm-hmm. to let her know what's going on. And Gansey shook his head and said in a smaller voice, we fought. He didn't want to have to explain further. Helen nodded. He didn't say anything else. And it's like Gansey's siblings really do seem to know each other really well. Yeah. A throwaway mention of not being a walking neighborhood with the closest coffee shop or retail area or congregation of women in yoga pants reminds me of Piper's complaint about Henrietta. (laughs) So far, the only act of rebellion Piper had performed had been to wreck the rental car by driving it aggressively through a shopping center sign to demonstrate just how unsuited she was for living in a place where she couldn't walk to shops. (laughs) Page 85 in Blue Lily Lily Blue. The entire day felt imaginary. The Camaro news this morning, Adam lost this afternoon. This wasn't happening. I've definitely had days like that. Mm-hmm. Helen tells Gansey, don't panic. I'm not panicking. Helen looked at her brother. Yes, you are. Helen's right. He mm-hmm. totally is. But justifiably. Yeah. And he calls Ronan, who would by now be dreaming with Kavinsky and 300 Fox Way, just needing his friends. Uh-huh. A few minutes later, the whole family, heck, the whole community is looking for Adam without a second thought. It's actually kind of heartwarming. Mm-hmm. I can definitely think of ways in which it could be like, oh, this kid was under our care and now he's missing. We better find him or look bad on us. But I'm going to stick with heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> I noted that, of course, Mr. Gansey II has a friend in the police department. Mm-hmm. But yes, there's something very grounding about having the names of the people who are searching with them, Margot and Delano. Mm-hmm. That makes it feel much more real. Right. The true Gansey huddled deep inside his body so that he could keep his face composed. And even here, he can't be seen to crack. Mm-hmm. He left, he left, he left. Gansey is totally panicking. Ugly crying. Mm-hmm. Gansey then suddenly gets a call from an unfamiliar number, and it's Adam. And with that, relief melted through him, liquefying his joints. I've had moments like that, too. Just like, ah. Yes. We have the first beat of a three beat where Gansey thinks it's going to be all right. Gansey asks where Adam is and Adam says he doesn't know and then asks someone else, where am I? Mm -hmm. The woman gets on the phone and says, it looked like there was a body. No one else was stopping. We're near exit seven on 395 South. That's where, I looked it up on a map, of course, 395 South crosses South Glebe Road, Highway mm-hmm. 120, near the Best Western Pentagon Hotel at Reagan Airport. Mm-hmm. He actually had to cross the Potomac to get over there. Wow. Yeah. It turns out Adam has managed to make it 15 miles from Gandhi's parents' place. And that's so far. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, it hasn't been that long. Mm-hmm. Do you think he hitchhiked while not really conscious? Or did he somehow get paranormally teleported? Mm-hmm. And like, where was he headed? Like, you know, where what was, was going, he going on? I think he likely wasn't sleeping at all the night before. So that's why Gansey's room would have been sterile. Mm-hmm. So I think he walked through the whole night. 15 miles in 8 to 10 hours. Isn't that preposterous? Yeah, not really. In the Opal short story, when Adam was upset about not getting into the college he wanted, he walked over 25 miles from Henrietta to Singer Falls. Right. We're coming, Gansey told the phone. I find it interesting since Gansey told the phone, because mm. Adam is still not really there. Right. And here's the second beat of the three beat where he thinks it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. The person with Adam says he might need a doctor. Gansey asks, is he hurt? The woman paused. I don't know. I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And the inversion on the three beat, but it wasn't all right. Mm -hmm. Adam said absolutely nothing to Gansey. 
embarrassed? Is he in shock? Is he still angry? Maybe all three? Yeah. And Gazi thinks of Adam, he'd always been able to fight for so much longer than anyone else. Yes, otherwise he wouldn't have survived. Right. Also, you don't get to praise him for that now, when less than 24 hours ago, you were giving him shit for being Adam Parrish, Army of One. Right. I know, this is like a learned coping mechanism to deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. Finally, he stood in front of Gansey's parents, chin lifted, but eyes far away, and said, I'm very sorry for all the trouble. God, what an Adam moment. Yeah. He's still hurting so much and still worried about how everyone's going to react to what's going on. Yeah. Eyes far away. I just wonder if he's looking into Cape's water. Possibly. No one would mention the inconvenience, and they never would. It was the Gansey way. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Adam had been diagnosed with transient global amnesia, which is, in fact, an actual thing. Mm -hmm. From Wikipedia, transient global amnesia, TGA, is a neurological disorder whose key defining characteristic is a temporary but almost total disruption of short-term memory with a range of problems accessing older memories. A person in a state of TGA exhibits no other signs of impaired cognitive functioning, but recalls only the last few moments of consciousness as as well as possibly a few deeply encoded facts of the individual's past, such as a childhood, family, or home, perhaps. A TGA episode generally lasts no more than two to eight hours before the patient returns to normal with the ability to form new memories. TGA attacks are associated with some form of precipitating event in at least one-third of cases. Most commonly cited precipitating events include vigorous exercise, including sexual intercourse, swimming in cold water or enduring other temperature changes, and emotionally traumatic or stressful events. Mm -hmm. Individuals who have experienced TGA are more likely, as opposed to regular amnesia, to have some kind of emotional problem, such as depression or phobias in their personal or family history or to have experienced some kind of phobic or emotionally challenging precipitating event. Mm -hmm. So they're all sitting upstairs basically discussing what's going on with Adam. Mm -hmm. And Gansey notes that Harlan very much enjoyed climbing down into other people's lives and muddling about there with a pail and a shovel and possibly one of those old-fashioned striped bathing suits with the legs and arms. And I just... Yeah. <laughs> I literally just had the heart emoji icon drawn into my book. <laughs> and then... It's talking about Gansey's dad. Although Gansey's dad didn't know Adam very well, his concern ran deep and genuine. Adam was his son's friend, and so he had inherent worth. And I'm like, I see. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have worth because he's a human being. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, then that concern is not deep or genuine then. Yeah. It's like, F you. My note was versus Kavinsky, who Gansey believes has no worth. Apple tree. Mm, yeah. It was clear that this, Adam, was a problem that all of the Ganseys were intent on solving before Gansey returned to Henrietta with Adam. So they all want to fix him. Yeah. On the one hand, this scene feels very giving and loving. And on the other, it feels so icky. Absolutely. Yeah. Gansey can't bring himself to say Adam's family lives in a trailer. And yet he can tell them Adam's father beat him. Ugh. Get your priorities straight, hun. This is a huge violation of Adam's privacy. Yeah, my teeth are on edge. Jesus Christ, his father remarked. Then why do they let those people breed? Jesus Christ, indeed. What a horrible thing to say. Yeah. I don't know if I would immediately start yelling at Richard Campbell Gansey the second, 
Or just stare at him in disbelief like Gansey does. And Mrs. Gansey gives him the barest of call-outs. Mm-hmm. But this is a prime example of the fact that authors do not have to believe what their characters do. I have seen so many readers who have not been able to divorce the concept of opinions of a character being separate, i.e. not every character in every book is an author surrogate. Mm-hmm. Gansey says he'll be 18 in a few months. You mean days. <laughs> Copy edit mistake or Gansey having no sense of time? It could be either. I blame it on copy editing. Mm-hmm. It's so telling that when Gansey tells his family about Adam's insistence on doing everything himself, that the other Gansey faces were approving. This idea of Adam Parrish, self-made man, appealed to them immensely. Conservative rich people have to believe that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that anyone can, because they have to distance themselves from the idea that what they have is privilege. Yeah. Adam has it pegged with, Adam had once told Gansey, rags to riches isn't a story anyone wants to hear until after it's done. Right. And page 131 of The Raven Boys. Gansey contemplated just throwing everything he possessed into the suburban and driving away as fast as he could. It's like, poor kid. I've been there. Yeah. But then immediately, a very small, very selfish voice inside Gansey whispered, what if you left him here? What if you made him find his own way back? What if he had to call you and apologize for once? For once? (laughs) I'm glad that Gansey recognizes that this is a selfish thing to think because mm. I want to smack him. <laughs> Helen suggests the idea of giving Adam her crappy car that she was going to donate and it would save her the trouble if he wanted it, by which she means she's going to obtain a car to fit that description and give it to Adam, which is honestly a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. And Gansey thinks if Adam really did buy Helen's story, it wouldn't hurt a damn thing. But reality check, Helen would never be caught dead in the Honda Yoda. <laughs> never it doesn't matter where she went to college that car is not gonna be something Mm -hmm. helen's in i do think it's a pretty great plan though Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of reminds me of the car judge used to have that he called the fortalac the fortalac yeah exactly (laughs) he left it unlocked because if anybody stole it they'd return it reupholstered and with a bunch of groceries in it oh god Yeah. (laughs) Gansey thinks about Adam walking along the side of the road, knowing he was forgetting what he was doing, but unable to stop. Unable to remember Gansey's number, even when people did stop to help. Mm -hmm. Then he thinks, I don't need your wisdom, Gansey. It's the play on pity. Like, I don't need your pity, Gansey. But Mm -hmm. why? What does Gansey mean? Why does he feel he's wiser than Adam? It's like the self-entitlement. Yes. Okay, before we leave this chapter and go back to Ronan, I just feel the need to point something out here. Mm-hmm. Adam is pretty much the only member of the gangsy in this, say, like, third of the book, not doing some really questionable, if not straight-up betrayal stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's the one getting called on doing stuff. Yeah. Blue is, like, sort of kind of cheating on Adam with both Gansey and Noah. Mm-hmm. And she and Noah are invading Gansey's personal space, mm-hmm. big time. Ronan just stole the pig, Gansey's prized possession, and wrapped it around the telephone pole. Right. After Gansey specifically took the keys with him to prevent something like that from happening. And Gansey decided to pick a fight with Adam while he was already uncomfortable. Right. And then violated Adam's privacy by disclosing the fact that he's an abuse survivor. Yeah. Oh, and let's not forget that Adam, at the time of this fight, was fighting off visions from Caveswater to be there for Gansey. Yeah. I'm feeling very Team Adam right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm often Team Adam, but yeah. (laughs) 
Alrighty. Chapter 43, a Ronin POV. To paraphrase the vine, two bros chilling in an Evo five feet apart because they're not gay. <laughs> the chapter starts out with, okay, princess, Kavinsky said, which yet again is Kay calling Ronan a girl, though the thought of him rescuing his princess from last episode is kind of weirdly sweet. Yeah, I second everything about that comment. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say from the start that Kay had to be pretty smart to figure this all out by himself. As we find out later, he probably didn't have anyone to teach him. Yeah, I mean, Renan didn't really have a teacher either, but at least he had his dad's example. Right. Yeah. Kay hands Ronan a six-pack. He must have also found it easier with drink or drugs. From when Ronan was trying to explain dreaming to Gansey, the dreams were more pliable when he drank. Less like taut anxiety and more like taffy, susceptible to careful manipulation until all at once they broke. That's page 38. Mm-hmm. I feel like the six pack when added to the constant presence of drugs and alcohol around Kaminsky point to that being the case, mm-hmm. just that, that he found it that easier as well. Mm-hmm. And then one day, two, three, time had no meaning. Days were relevant. They marked time with dreams. That's such a good line. And I've actually had periods of times like this, but usually only when I'm sick. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe finals week in college when I was pulling all-nighters for like three nights in a row. Yeah. <laughs> The text makes a note here that, as always, he hovered above himself, a paralyzed non-participant in his own life. I wonder if Kay also wakes up paralyzed. We never really see that in the text. I like this too and was wondering the same thing. It's obvious dreaming works at least somewhat similarly for the two of them, but it's never clear just exactly how far that similarity goes. Mm-hmm. The speaker thumped out something that sounded good-natured, offensive, and Bulgarian. Kavinsky wore his white sunglasses because he was awake. I love. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of wanted to look up some Bulgarian pop, rap. It isn't clear exactly what this song is, but I didn't get a chance to do that. Also, I knew you would mention the sunglasses. Yeah. I've used the song that is being played in this chapter in previous episodes, and the video is ridiculous. I'll have to go check. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ronan has dreamed a pen that writes in dainty cursive no matter how it's held. Kavinsky takes it and says in disdain, Well, man, this is a pen. <laughs> What's this shit, man? Looks like the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> He's such a jerk. A funny jerk, but a jerk. <laughs> I love later when he says, write him a note in George Washington letters. (laughs) Kay tapped the pen on Ronan's teeth along with the Bulgarian beat, completely invading Ronan's personal space. And this becomes a pretty big thing with Kay. Indeed it does. Kay takes one of his green pills. Ronan is watching him sleep. Kavinsky's pulse stopped. And then, with a violent start, Kavinsky jerked awake, one of his hands fisted. So Kay actually dies, then comes back? No wonder he thinks of dying as just a boring side effect. Yeah, I noted that too. I mean, my thought was like, maybe not completely dying, but like really bad sleep apnea. Mm. But then again, we were just talking about how Ronan has an out-of-body experience sleep paralysis every time he dreams. So maybe like this is Kavinsky's version? I personally thought it was probably something that the drugs were doing. Ah, yeah. That it was actually stopping his heart and then he was going into the dream and then he was coming out. But later, Ronan talks about feeling his own pulse stop Uh after he takes the pills. 
Kavinsky makes a crack about the pig being Gansey's manhood, implying mm. that Gansey would be impotent without it. This is just something that Ronan can't abide, and it causes him to threaten leaving. Right. Ronan is constantly drawing the line with Kavinsky that Gansey is not an acceptable target. Mm. Yeah, Ronan responds with, is this going to be a thing? And my thought was, it kind of already is. Yeah. Kay asks if Ronan gets his stuff in the same place every time, and Ronan thinks the forest, and says, mostly. Reminder, this is before we readers know that Ronan manifested Cabe's water, but he's already made the connection between dreaming and the forest, and it's laid out right here. Precisely. I feel like I already had pretty much had a guess at this point, but this absolutely cements it. Mm -hmm. You're thinking of what you want before you go to sleep, right? I believe Shannon talked about lucid dreaming in episode 20 Mm -hmm. during our deep dive on the mythology of dreams. I also wanted to read another excerpt from the WikiHow that Maggie wrote about dreaming. Make a plan. Before falling asleep, create a goal for your dream. Name the object you hope to find. Visualize the object, including the physical properties it would have if it existed in reality. Continue to hold this object in your thoughts until you fall asleep. Don't worry about limiting your object by imagining it in real terms while you are awake. Your dream state will convert it into something more ephemeral and metaphorical. Practice makes perfect. The more plans you create, the less detailed the plan will need to be until, eventually, you can simply hope for a class of object or a solution instead of planning for a specific object. Remember that living objects will require care after being brought into the physical world. Don't contribute to our overcrowded animal shelters. Consider adoption before you dream. (laughs) Kay tells Ronan that he's gotta be in and out, Lynch. That's what he said. And Ronan (laughs) thinks it didn't sound like a dream he'd ever had. How did Niall do this? Like, Kay, I mean, Ronan seems fundamentally different somehow. Yeah, Kavinsky says you have to go in like a motherfucking thief, which Mm -hmm. honestly, I can only assume that that's how Niall did it too. Mm -hmm. Because Ronan is fundamentally different. Many thieves, one Grey Warren. Right. We just don't get a good description of what the specific differences is in this series anyway. Mm -hmm. Ronan did not fall asleep. He swallowed the green pill and he was thrown into sleep, hurled into it, dashed, wrecked, destroyed into sleep. He rolled onto that shore, a crushed version of himself, his legs gone beneath him. wonder if this is different for him or more difficult or harder on him because he's different. I thought it was just the unfamiliarity of the pill. It's yeah, the it first could, time it could he's be that done too. that. The trees leaned over him. The air grinned. Thief? He had been robbed. He thinks he had been robbed. And what does this tell us about Ronan and his connection to this forest? Exactly. We're being given big hints here about their interconnection. Mm -hmm. The trees are protecting the item Ronan wants. Orphan girl tugged and tugged. Does Kay have a psychopomp? Why or why not? And where or who is it? Good question, because we know Neil had Aurora, but we don't know if all dreamers get a psychopomp. Mm-hmm. My first thought was maybe Proko, but he has a history before Kavinsky. Mm-hmm. And wait a minute, what, what if it was a dragon? <laughs> that would be very terrifying. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ronan hears Kavinsky's voice very clear, dying's a boring side effect. The first time he says this, it's inside Ronan's dream. Mm-hmm. Orphan girl screams at him to get out. Is she protecting Ronan? Is there something else she's afraid of? I think she knows that 
what's going on here is killing the ley line. Mm-hmm. Or at least, like, can feel it dangerously sapping the power. Mm. And if the ley line dies and Ronan can no longer dream, then Ronan dies and so does she. That's a good point. Ronan wakes up to Kavinsky leaning over him, thumping his chest, taking advantage of the paralysis and touching without permission yet again. We see Kavinsky over and over getting into Ronan's space or touching him in an unwelcome or predatory way. Like when he rubbed Ronan's head after dropping off the bracelets Uh or leaning over when handing Ronan the Molotov cocktail at the substance party. Right. I just want to point out that I love the little tiny glass pig that Ronan (laughs) brings out of the dream here. Like a little stained glass Hot Wheel. Uh (laughs) And Kavinsky's saying, dear dick, drive this. (laughs) (laughs) Also, dream killer engraved on the side of Kavinsky's gun is not exactly prescient, but it feels it. Yeah, I was thinking that it would be something that it would use like on the night horror uh-huh. Since he shot the night horrors. Yeah. And I want that gun so badly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, fictionally speaking, it would make a really great cosplay accessory. It really would. Kavinsky says, get your stuff, get out before the place notices. Kavinsky, again, has a contentious relationship with his dreams and dream space. Mm-hmm. And maybe that contentious relationship is part of why the dream killer on the gun? Maybe. Could be. I think it's probably like because of the night horror, though. Yeah. Ronan's asking about the green pills. My mom loves the hell out of these, man. When she starts breaking shit in the house, I grind one of these for her, put it in her smoothie. This is so fucking horrible. I don't even know what to say. I know, right? It's just awful. Yeah. And then he tries to justify it with, she wasn't such a bitch back in Jersey. What happened? Mm Mm-hmm. And then Ronan asks what place Kavinsky goes to. My secret place? You want into my secret place? Kavinsky howled a laugh. I knew it. Kay is baiting him again with a joke about his sexuality. Right. I see that too, but I also see maybe a little bit of actual worry behind that. Mm -hmm. Like maybe Kavinsky is actually afraid Ronan's going to mess with what Kavinsky has going, like Mm -hmm. in, in the dreaming. And Kavinsky is genuinely making himself vulnerable right now by doing this for Ronan. Mm-hmm. We have an unreliable narrator on multiple levels. There are rumors about rumors. This was the story Kavinsky told. That was the legend. The rumor was that his mother's nasal septum had been eaten away by cocaine and his father's patriarchal instinct had died when Kavinsky tried to kill him. We're seeing all of this information at least two times removed from the truth, filtered through the eyes of Ronan, who we know doesn't even like Kay very much. The only truth we as readers can pick up about Kavinsky is what we read from context clues. Again, he's the only antagonist that doesn't have any sort of POV. It's like, how sympathetic would he be for us if he did? Mm -hmm. And that's a really good question. Like, there's a lot seeing this from his point of view would do to either seal my feelings about him or completely change my feelings about him. Mm -hmm. Ronan asks if Kay really did try to kill his father. I never try to do anything, man. I do what I mean to. It's a (laughs) non-answer. Did Mm -hmm. he or didn't he? And if so, is it implied that he dreamed him back afterwards? I wonder if Kavinsky is trying to make himself more intimidated by leaving this vague. Mm -hmm. He does add that his dad tried to kill him. Right. And that his father doesn't always do what he means to present tense so still alive right or maybe as you suggested dream back right and that begs the question right why would his dad try to kill his own son Uh (laughs) uh-huh i mean 
it's not the not the only time we've seen that happen in these books. Well, yeah. And we know how we feel about the other character that mm-hmm. that happens to. Kaminsky then asked Ronan if Ronan killed Niall, and Ronan actually opens up a little bit, saying that, no, this, dreaming, killed him. Mm-hmm. Is this Ronan actually warming up to Kavinsky, or is it just a warning? You know, it's like... Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say because dreaming didn't actually kill Niall. The fact that he was an asshole who promised a dreamed object that didn't exist killed Niall. (laughs) But Ronan doesn't know that yet. Right. So it's hard to say. And Kay says, like father, like son. He is observant, he's clever, and he's streetwise. Mm. Ronan is back into the dream, and Ronan thinks of a bomb from the substance party. A bomb, just like you. Mm -hmm. He's finally gaining some control in his manifestations here. The trees say, we see you, Grey Warren, and then he exploded awake. Exploded, like a bomb. Mm -hmm. Ronan and his internal metaphors for explosion. Uh I find it interesting that it seems he's forcibly ejected from the dream if he's seen. Yeah, that is interesting. And then we have Kavinsky and Flame. The Molotov cocktail, only now it was burning. The flame, beautiful and voracious. The flame itself is beautiful to Ronin. And as we've seen, there's a lot of Kavinsky fire imagery as Mm -hmm. well. Absolutely. And like we said, Ronin comes out of this dream with this Molotov cocktail and Kavinsky sees it and responds with a wild laugh. Kavinsky hit the window button with his elbow and seized the bomb. He hurled it into the dusk. Kavinsky seems to actually be having a good time here. Mm-hmm. This laugh mirrors the laugh he gave as he pulled away in the Mitsubishi in the drag race. Yeah. The smell was terrific. An aerial battle. And the sound sucked all of the hearing out of Ronan's ears. Ding, 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 foreshadowing. (laughs) The night horror and the dragon will later be in an aerial battle. Indeed. And there will be explosions. Yes, a lot. Kavinsky throws the Molotov cocktail and it explodes only a few feet away. He looks profoundly unconcerned. He has no sense of mortality. Mm -hmm. This is a Walmart. Just go to electronics, swipe some TVs, get out of there. It's a very non-personal way of viewing the dreaming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it really is a non-personal way of viewing the dreaming. Mm -hmm. And also here we see Kavinsky's dreamed Agonby diploma. Ronan is, much to his chagrin, impressed at the quality. He hasn't seen one to know just how accurate it is, but it feels right. Mm -hmm. And why would Ronan ever need to go to school if he can just dream up a diploma? Oh, computer records. Right, because they could totally (laughs) go back. Somebody could check that and it would be... There's a whole big, beautiful paragraph here that describes time passing and the things that they pull out of their dreams. I like to think that it's sometime in here that the gray man stumbles onto them. Mm -hmm. He was beginning to understand what Kavinsky meant. The dream was a byproduct in all of this. Sleep was irrelevant. The trees were just obstacles, a sort of faulty alarm system. Kavinsky's view on the dreams are starting to infect Ronan's reality. But I do feel like this is partly true. Uh Uh-huh. I think so too. Mm-hmm. So Ronan didn't know if it had been days or if this was the same night as before. How long ago had he wrecked the pig? When was his last nightmare? Time still has no relevance or meaning. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what he means by last nightmare. The literal one that the night horrors escaped from or wrecking the pig? Mm-hmm. Don't know. 
and what is possibly Monday morning rolls around. Kavinsky was inspecting Ronan's latest piece of work, a chainsaw. <laughs> Maggie, in a Q&A post, the question was asked, Question, a raven named Chainsaw. Please tell us more. Maggie, one of my kids tried to name every animal Chainsaw for a long time, so that's for him. <laughs> Kavinsky was too high for food to be very interesting as anything but a concept. Is this a thing? I thought being high made you hungry? Or is that just pot? Oh, that's definitely just pot. <laughs> <laughs> I would say most drugs are likely to make you less hungry than more hungry, especially Coke. Mm-hmm. After all, meth was originally a diet pill in the 50s. Oh. Well, originally, originally given to troops during World War II to enhance their focus, because hopped up soldiers with guns can only be a great thing. Yeah. <sighs> Well, Renan asked, trying to gauge Kavinsky's thoughts on the chainsaw Renan had produced from the last streaming session. Apparently, it passes inspection because after having tested it out on several trees and Mitsubishis, Kavinsky replies, Now you dream the Camaro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that's it. We're ending there. Okay. Do you have your MVC? I do. Okay. Who's going first? I'll go first. Okay. Helen. Helen! <laughs> Twice in a row. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Do we even have to explain why? I mean, we can a little bit. She's taking care of Gansey. She's taking care of Adam. Mm-hmm. It's like she's like right there to help Gansey look for Adam and mm-hmm. like comes up with the plan to help Adam get a car. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just thought she was great and very supportive in yeah, these chapters. Exactly. Like she was definitely a rock that Gansey could lean on. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, that was simple. <laughs> I don't think we've Rochambeau'd in a while. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maggie Watch. (laughs) Maggie released a section of the first page of the new book, Call Down the Hawk. So I will read this to Shannon because she has not read it yet. Prologue. This is going to be a story about the Lynch brothers. There were three of them. And if you didn't like one, try another, because the Lynch brother others found too sour or too sweet might be just to your taste. The Lynch brothers, the orphans Lynch, all of them had been made by dreams one way or another. They were all handsome devils down to the last one. They looked after themselves. Their mother, Aurora, had died the way some dreams did, gruesomely, blamelessly, unexpectedly. Their father, Niall, had been killed or murdered, depending on how human you considered him. Were there other lynches? It seemed unlikely. Lynches seemed to be very good at dying. (laughs) Dreams are not the safest thing to build a life on. Wow. I am looking forward to this. Yeah. It also looks like there will be some incomplete arcs of only the first eight chapters that are being handed out at some of the bigger conventions and things like that, which is pretty smart given the piracy issues in the past. Right. And that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yay. And supporter shout-outs. Oh, yeah, supporter shout-outs. Those are important. (laughs) I wanted to say thank you to several of our UK listeners for leaving iTunes reviews, because we love them all. We were talking about reviews during lunch today and how much it makes us happy. So I wanted to read a couple of those out. Millie AGP says, whoa, there's a Raven Cycle podcast. OMG, 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 OMG. Which I love so much. (laughs) I love that. It's just like, oh, it makes me so happy. 
And then Danny the Hufflepuff says, my happy place. Aww. Listening to this podcast is like drinking a cup of perfectly spiced hot cocoa, sitting by a particularly well-articulated fire, rumbling in a particularly thought-provoking fireplace with a pair of wonderful friends. And went on to say some other things, (laughs) which I absolutely love. And then Abby Isabel says, weeps happily. (laughs) So I'm not the only happy crier out there. I totally happy cry. Yeah. I love this show. Shannon and Vita are just as passionate about these books and characters as I am. And it's such a joy to listen to their super smart and loving insights to the Raven Cycle. So much fun. I just wanted to say thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. That's so sweet. And I also wanted to say we have seen a growth in our numbers over the past few months. And the number one thing that you all can do to help is... You know, continue to tell your friends Mm -hmm. or even strangers, people online, (laughs) random folks who are like, oh, my gosh, I just finished the Raven Cycle. What am I going to do with my life? Tell them to listen to us. (laughs) And then the number two thing you can do is tell the whole Internet to listen by Mm. leaving a review. Yeah, reviews help a lot. They really do. Every podcast says that because it's true. iTunes is great if you use that. But if you don't, there are often ways to leave star ratings or reviews on other apps or platforms as well. If someone has a question on those, obviously, I don't have every app or platform, but I can possibly help coach you through where reviews can be Mm -hmm. left. We can figure it out. We can figure it out. (laughs) Anything else? Mm, Nope. I think that's it. That's it. All right, then. With that, thanks for listening today. Our next episode will cover chapters 44 through 49 of The Dream Thieves with a discussion of some stereotypes and tropes and characterization represented by Kavinsky. Mm -hmm. However, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters. What's that? (laughs) Oh, just it's not right now. Yeah, yeah. Of what we'll be covering next. And send us your thoughts. I love getting emails. We love hearing messages from you guys. Asks in our Tumblr box. Tag us on Twitter. All of that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls. R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S. On Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's taken out, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiefvater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! <laughs> Here's what's up. The Ronin you know is no more. He's having a coming of age moment. Hey, hey, Bildungsroman! God damn me! SAT that! Dick, dick, dick! Kavinsky? Gansey said evenly. Where's Ronin? Right here! Oh no! It totally didn't. Wait, why didn't it keep playing? No! It stopped right at the fire! It stopped right at the fire! You needed it! <laughs> oh, that is awful! What the
now I know what I now we have our stinger. <laughs> oh my god! The bird's just like looking expectantly. <laughs> no, and it's just like, oh my gosh, that okay. is so dumb. Oh, now I gotta go find it. Okay, I just I really love the SAT that dick dick dick. <laughs> Okay, so I think we should do a take of reading it. Alright, do you want to read it or do you want me to? It would be way funnier if you did. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Wake up, fuck weasel. It's your girlfriend. Chapter 40, page 297, The Dream Thieves. <laughs> I just gave myself a headache laughing, laughing. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so who's doing which oh also a good point why don't you do the first one okay you just like to hear me say fuck don't you <laughs> I, I did I did put the f word in there didn't I that's fine okay I got it <laughs> I just find it amusing. <laughs> I do too. That's why you're gonna. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to do this? Let's do this thing. Okay. <laughs> 